The following audio is from Emmanuel Baptist Church. More information about Emmanuel is available at our website, www.myemmanuel.net. Jesus, a friend of sinners, just like us, amen? Just like us. Well, delighted to be with you today, as always, in the Word. Turning your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3, if you would. We do continue on in our Kingdom Circles sort of sub-series. It's a part of what Paul's been uh, um, in all year, really. We're going to spend most of our time in all year. But we've talked thus far about family and about what it means to engage God's kingdom work in our families, how we can take ownership and responsibility of how we can bring kingdom work into our family. We talked last week about our church We challenged ourselves as a church not to think about what can the church do for me? Do I like the church? Does it fit my preferences? Does it meet my needs? But rather to say, when we come into the church, how can I contribute to the kingdom work of God through the church? We talked about Christ's heart for the church. The Bible tells us that he cherishes and loves the church. We talked last week that Jesus created the church. This was his idea. In Matthew 16, we see this was really Jesus' idea. Now today... We're talking about what I would say is probably what we would consider to be the hardest of the kingdom circles. Certainly family is challenging, but they're family. We've known them all our lives. Church is challenging, but we ought to act like Christians. We ought to be Christians. We ought to be filled with grace and forgiveness and mercy and love and understand the mission with which we're called. But oftentimes community is where the rubber meets the road for us getting outside of those doors, getting out into the world around us that God has put us in for kingdom purposes and kingdom strategies. In my research, I came across some statistics that I want to share with you. Um, and I know it's, it's, it's not good preaching, by the way, to start out your sermon with a bummer, okay? But I'm going to do it a little bit if that's okay, because we're, we're, we're going to move through this. But I wanted to figure out where we're at nationwide evangelistically. Okay, I wanted to figure out what some of the latest research has been showing us in terms of us sharing our faith and taking the gospel to people and how many are Christians. So this statistic finds itself with the American Culture and Faith Institute, the ACFI. George Barna has worked a lot in partnership with that. Barna does lots and lots of studies, has for uh, over 20 years. And uh, and they're actually over 30 years. And he says in this, uh, in the recent survey that I read, he said, showing that surprisingly few adults, including born-again Christians... Now, born-again Christian, is, it's, just a, it's a term that often gets misunderstood. It just means that when you've been saved by the blood of Jesus, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 said, the old is gone, the new has come. Okay, we're a brand new creation. So to be born again means that God has saved us. We are no longer in our sin. We are saved into a new life in Christ. So that's all of us, uh, hopefully here, that's what we teach here at Emmanuel. He said, showing that surprisingly few adults, including born-again Christians, feel a personal responsibility to share their religious beliefs with non-believers. That's 39%. Meaning 39% of us do not think it's important to tell someone else about Jesus. Rather, rather, I'm sorry, 39% of us do. I'm sorry, I said that backwards. 39% of Christians believe it's important to tell a non-believer the good news of Jesus. 61% say, not a big deal. I feel no responsibility. Friends, that's a problem, isn't it? Nod your heads if you hear what I'm talking about. That's a problem. Because what we're now doing is, for those of us that fall into that 61%, what we're really saying is, I don't really care 
if my neighbor is saved or not. I don't really care for them enough that I don't want them to go to hell. And that's, that's a bit sobering, I realize that. But that's kind of what we're saying. If we're saying in the statistic, we no longer feel responsible for that. The survey also revealed that while most of the nation's evangelistic efforts by adults are made towards other adults, we still find that most decisions to follow Christ are made by children. Isn't that interesting? That's why we focus so much on the next generation here at Emmanuel. Next, uh, in the same study, for a 15-year period from 1991 through 2005, an average of 40% of the adult population qualified as born again. That average rose slightly to 44% during the five years from 2006 to 2010. Now stay with me. Since that time, however, the mean has plummeted to just 36%, with 2017 producing the lowest proportion of born-again adults since Barna began the tracking process in 1991. In 2017, the average indicates that just 31% of adults are born again. You know what else the studies show? The studies show, and those of you that are millennials are going to love this. The studies show that every generation, except millennials, are on a steady decline of how often they share their faith. More and more Christians do not care about sharing their faith with the community. More and more Christians aren't concerned that their neighbor might not know Jesus and spend eternity in hell. Less Christians are telling others about Jesus than ever before. Yet our communities are growing, our population is expanding, and less and less people are coming to know him. Dear friends, do you see a problem here? Nod your heads if you see a problem here. This is a yes, this is a no. Yeah, Yeah, this is no good. You're smart enough, we're all intelligent in the room. We can see where the end of this trailhead goes, can't we? If we continue to go down, 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 down in sharing our faith, yet the population goes up, 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 and the number of Christians continue to go down, 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 where do you think the end of that trailhead's going to be? Friends, it is our responsibility to reach our community. Paul just cast a great vision about church planning, but don't misunderstand him. He doesn't mean that we don't have to go here too. He doesn't mean that we only go out to other cities and other states. We have to start here. We have to be the ambassadors of Jesus here. Amen? We have to be right here. And so we're going to talk about that today and what it means to take ownership of our kingdom community. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. I'm going to try to let some scripture speak strong today with, with a little less commentary, if that's possible, on, your, on my part there. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. It says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. We may think that God is slow. We may think that God is tarrying. We may think that God is not answering our prayers. But what we have to understand is, God is patient. What I want you to hear is God's heart. He said he's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's God's desire, is that all people would have the opportunity to know him. Turn with me to John chapter 3. Such a beautiful passage. We often don't reference it because we feel like it's overstated, but it should be overstated. This passage is classic, isn't it? John chapter 3, begin with me in verse 16. See God's heart again for the, for the world. Uh, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Everybody say amen. 
Do you know that God's heart is that the world might be saved through him? God's heart and his desire is that men and women, boys and girls from every nation, every tribe, and every tongue would know him as Lord and Savior. And if we're going to talk about engaging our community in a kingdom effort for the cause of Christ, we've got to recognize that God wants everyone to know him. We have to come to terms with the fact that God wants everyone to know him. God is not content with people who don't know him yet. That's why he sent Jesus to the earth. He could have taught us to climb a ladder to heaven to get to him, but he didn't. He sent his son Jesus incarnate. The word became flesh and he dwelt among us so that we might know him. We've got to understand if we're going to engage that community that God's heart is really big and his grace is wide and his love is abounding. And so that's got to be the, the, the reason with which we do what we do. So God wants to know him. So what is the response then? It means that God wants us to go. I, God wants us to go. I told the last hour, I said, look, uh, I don't think our problem is a lack of theological knowledge here. I could take this sermon right here. If, if Michael called me and said, Jim, I, I'm super sick. I, I, can't, I can't teach today. Can you come to E-Kids and teach? I could literally teach this whole entire sermon exactly like this to the kids. The problem is not that we don't understand the Bible well enough. The problem is we've got to remember the mission that God has called us to. And so he's called us to go. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, famous influential preacher in the 1800s, said this. He says, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. That's bold, is it not? In our 21st century political correctness, don't offend anybody. That one hurts a little. But he said, look... Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. If God saved us, he saved us to go. He saved us to go. We are called to go. We're commanded to go. And what I would say is, I think we, we, we have to go. Charles, uh, rather, uh, Charles Spurgeon said in another opportunity, another time rather, that was, I mean, it's a little bit bold, but he actually calls into question in another quote that if we're not going as missionaries, then you are certainly not saved. Now that's a little harsh as well. But Spurgeon's point is that when we've been saved by the blood of Jesus, our only right response is to go, and it's to tell people. We know Matthew 28, 19, the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make what? Say it out loud. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He's called us all to go, all to be sent. Grab 2 Corinthians chapter 5 with me, if you would. This passage is one that I began this series telling you that it's a little bit of a, um, a theme verse for us. And so that's why I wanted to end with it today. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, let's begin in verse 16. He says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. If we're going to go and engage our community, we can't look at our community as Carl, the guy who built an ugly fence. Okay? We can't look at our community and go, man, I can't believe my neighbor didn't shovel his driveway, or he doesn't water his lawn, or they said what they shouldn't, and they do what they shouldn't, and the they, the they thing is just, is just not going to work. It's just not going to work. We've got to think of people as created in the image of God. Every person walking around in your circle, in your community, is made in the image of God. We talked a few weeks ago about the annoyances of people. Do you see them as annoying, or do you see them as images? Hopefully you see them as images. So he says, the old will be gone, the new will become if we're regenerate in Christ. Verse 18, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, 
God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. When the scripture says that God makes his appeal through us, it means that we are called to go, that we are called to share. We are called to tell people the good news of Christ. The statement that that I'm about to say is probably going to shock some of you, but I want you to hear me out for a minute. Prayer alone will not change your community. Prayer alone will not change Billings, Montana. You might say, whoa, 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 Jim, you're on some thin ice here. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is mighty. And the Holy Spirit works through prayer. And I would say, absolutely he does. But understand God's heart. He never called us to pray and sit. He always said, pray, now get up and be my ambassadors. Pray and then go and make my appeal to them. God could, he is able to to tell everybody about him through dreams or through some divine revelation. But instead, he chose to deploy Christ's followers all across the world to tell people about the good news of Jesus. So we can pray all we want, but dear friends, we've got to start putting some boots on the ground if we're going to pray. We've got to pray and then go. Pray and then speak. Pray and then serve. Pray and then say, God, here I am. Send me. Where would you have me to go? How would you have me to go? Show me how I get to be your ambassadors. Prayer is step one, but it's not the end. So we pray, and we pray hard. But we got to be willing to go hard in addition to our prayers. I'm going to read Romans chapter 10, verses 13 to 15 with me. You're welcome to follow along with me. You're welcome to listen as I say it. He says, For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. There's God's heart again. Isn't it good? Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But he asks these questions. He says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? The answer is they can't. And how are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? The answer is they can't. And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? The answer is they won't. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Dear friends, we are sent today. We are sent today. This is the sending of today. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. That's how God sees the evangelist. That's how God sees the one engaging kingdom. How beautiful are the feet of those who are bringing the good news, the gospel of Christ. Our community is never going to know the Lord until we're willing to go and live out our faith among them. And stop with this sort of them and us mentality. I got to tell you, I think nationwide, that has got to be the single greatest hurt of the church and why we haven't grown is the church has had this them and us mentality. If you're here today and you're examining Christianity, I'm so sorry if you ever felt that way. It shouldn't be that way. We are all on level playing field. The, the ground is level at the foot of the cross, right? We, that is, it's completely level. You take the person that you perceive to be the worst sinner. You know they're no different than you, right? If you're saved in Jesus, that's the only different. doesn't mean that my sin is any less big as theirs. So we need to stop with this them and us mentality, and we need to be a people together. We need to live out our faith among everybody that God allows us to live our faith in, in our community circles. Jesus himself was always among the people, wasn't he? He was always among the people. He was always with them, always talking to them, always engaging So where do we go? You might be thinking, well, Jim, 
I just, what am I supposed to quit my job and like start a community ministry? Maybe. You thought I was going away from that, didn't you? I didn't sidestep that. Maybe. Wouldn't that be great if, if God called one of you to quit your job and start a ministry in the community? Wouldn't that be great? Someone's going, oh man, I don't like this sermon anymore. But here's where we should start. We can start in the places that God already has put us in. I want to say to you that today, maybe you don't need to stop and change everything in a big fundamental way, but maybe you can begin to use the rhythms that God has put in your life. What about your job? Are you a light at your job? Are you engaging kingdom work in your job? Or have you forgotten that first and foremost, you're a missionary to that company? What about the board you sit on? What about the bank that you frequent? You see the same teller periodically. What about the school you go to? The school, where you're, where's your locker? Where's the hallway? the extracurricular things that you're in? What about sports? What about if you're, if you're a youth and you're in sports? What about your kids and the sports that they're in? Have you engaged the parents as you watch your kids play sports? Have you coached for the purpose of loving on the players and the parents? Have you coached for a purpose of being the light of Christ to that? What about a PTA? What about your neighborhood? Don't, don't raise your hand, but if I were to ask how many of you knew the last name of your neighbor, I bet most of us wouldn't be able to raise their hand because there's probably a neighbor that you don't know their last name. You maybe don't know their first name. Like, I mean this with all the love and compassion in my heart. Well, you got to get on it, okay? Go shake hands with the neighbor. Get to know your neighbor. God's put you shoulder to shoulder with that neighbor. We are called to that neighborhood. What about the grocery store you go to? You frequent it often. If you have children, you're probably there a lot, a lot, a lot. Maybe you see the same checker. What about the gym that you work out in? You see the same people that tend to hit the same times. Are you there as a light for Christ? Are you there looking for opportunities or do you just bury your head in your headphones and try to not talk to anybody? The Lord convicted me about, about, about that years ago, that I'm not there to work out primarily. I'm there to, to be a light for Christ. So I'd have to take the headphones off, talk to people. It was a joy. Your community circle starts with any place that is a part of your normal life. That's where it starts. It starts with every part that's a part of your normal life. But I would say to you this, if you don't have any part of your life where you cross paths regularly, with the community that is not church members, then yeah, it's really time to change your habits. It's time to get involved. It's time to volunteer. It's time to put yourself out there and say, okay, God, I'm going to go. I want to go wherever you'd have me to be. If you haven't found that as a place in your life, we need to get strategic about it. Because when we go, we go with a purpose. That's the purpose here today. When we go, we don't just go to go. We go with a purpose. And that's in your notes there. We see Paul going with a tremendous purpose. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I can't think of a better example of a Christ follower who went with such a purpose than the Apostle Paul. See if you can hear hear it with me, okay? Beginning in verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 9. Paul says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. Paul realizes that he is an individual. He's his own person. He's not to be judged by everybody else. There's sort of an independent nature away from people. But here's what he understands. But he says, but I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. He starts with service, that he might win more of them. Now understand in the context, winning might throw you off, but winning just means that they get to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Can there be a greater victory in life than a person having their eternal home in heaven? It's the greatest win there possibly would be. So he says that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, 
that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak even, I became weak, that I might win the weak. And he says, I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. Everybody say amen. All things. By all means, to all people, by all things, that he might save some. And I do it for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. And then he continues on. And he says, I don't run like a runner who's not going for a prize. Uh, I have self-discipline. I want to receive the goal. And he says in verse 26, listen to what he says. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Let's stay in the context of this passage. We talk about this in terms of you should live a disciplined life and you should practice the spiritual disciplines. That's actually not what this passage is talking about. I think it applies, but it's not what it's talking about. This passage, Paul is talking about living what one might say incarnationally, kind of a big churchy denominational word that says go and live among the people but he said in the context of being all things to all people by all means I might save some he says I don't do this aimlessly I don't just sort of wander about hoping that some some holy spirit might just sort of fall on me one day or or that I might accidentally do something good for the kingdom of God he says no 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 I don't run aimlessly I'm actually disciplined in my ministry I'm disciplined in my relationships with the community are you, di- are you disciplined in your relationships for, for the cause of Christ? Or are you running aimlessly, just sort of waking up in the morning and doing what life is that day? Or are you saying, you wake up in the day, uh, rather, when you wake up in the morning, would you say to the Lord, Lord, I want to run with intention today. I want to go, but I want to go with a purpose. To engage the kingdom circle that is ours to engage, we've got to go with a purpose. Nobody accidentally bears fruit in Christ. We never accidentally bear fruit in Christ. We bear fruit when we go intentionally and we go with a purpose, just like the Apostle Paul. And how do we go? Our going starts with love. Our going starts with love. You can't go because you're angry at Carl. Okay, you can't go over next door and say, hey, Carl, that's the ugliest fence I've ever seen and it's six inches on my property. By the way, Jesus loves you. Want to go to church with me Sunday? It's a strategy that could be employed, but dare I say it may not be very effective, okay? We got to go with love. I mentioned at the very beginning that that if we're honest, we need to recognize where our love relationship is with people. Do you care about your neighbor? I mean, care. Long enough that, that, that you spend more than five or six seconds thinking about it. Do you care for them? Do you love them enough that it will cost you to be a good neighbor? Do you love your coworkers? Do you love the community that you're out in every day? Or do they just annoy you because of the cell phones and the traffic? We, we've got to love. We've got to love God and we've got to love people. Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31. What are the greatest commandments? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And what's the second? Love your neighbor as yourself. If we love our neighbor the same way we love ourselves, we want good things in our life, don't we? We want God things in our life. We want the grace of God to work in us and through us. But we've got to love our neighbor as ourself. You might say, well, Jim, I'm really not a people person. 
I'm not asking you to be a people person. I'm asking you to love people. You don't have to be the person that's wanting to mix it up in the middle of the crowd to go over to your neighbor and have a one-on-one conversation for five minutes. We need to discipline our bodies like Paul and say, man, Lord, I am nervous to go next door. I'm nervous to chisel that ice. I'm nervous to take them cookies. I'm nervous to engage the conversation. Pray and go. Pray and go. We don't get to use the excuse, well, I'm not a people person. We just don't, friends. We just don't. God never gave us that pass. For those of you that that are not people people, it's going to be a little harder for the rest of us. It is. I'll be honest. It's going to be a little bit more challenging if you're introverted. But it doesn't mean that we don't do it. We just do it in our own context. So what does love look like? Three things in your notes. Love looks like this. It looks like helping. Like I told you, it's really, really simple today. Love looks like helping. We volunteer. We coach. We meet needs. We serve. We find out ways that we can engage to help. We pitch in. I heard a story the other day about one of our teenagers here at Emmanuel who he and his buddies took their four-wheel drive vehicle and pulled 17 people out of the ditch. How many of us would take a night and pull 17 people out of the ditch? Now, okay, I'm sure part of it was like four-by-fours are awesome. And I don't want to like pull people out of the ditch bank. and that's. But you know what? It's more than I did that night. It's a whole lot more to love the community than I did that night. That's pretty great. We help. Sometimes we overthink it. Be the first to help. Be the first on the scene. Number two, connect. Connecting. You should be the friendliest person in your community. Think about it. You should be the friendliest person in your community. What are you known for in your neighborhood? Are you known as the crotchety one? Are you known as that one at the HOA meetings where it's like, "Uh oh, Tanya's there. We don't want to go there, right? You know, one of those numbers. You should be the friendliest person. And what what I would say is proactively. We should proactively be the friendliest person. You should take the lead in letting, uh, getting to know the people around you. Sometimes we go, well, man, I'm just too nervous to do that. Well, you know, sometimes we just got to try and just say, Lord, I need you. Shake their hand and say, I'm thankful you're my neighbor. I'm thankful I get to work with you. My name is Jim. It's really, really simple. We got to connect with them. Part of connecting, you might have a little bit of fear of sharing your faith. Well, part of connecting with people might be for you to invite them to church. Maybe just invite them to church. Do you know that the statistics, LifeWay Research tells us now that that in the Christian church, listen to this, 2% of Christians will tell someone else about their church this year. 2% of Christians will leave there and go tell someone about their church in 52 weeks. Now, of course, yeah, that's not you. I know that's not you. I mean, we are so different there, right? We gotta be willing to connect. And if we connect here, we can connect here and say, there's some folks in my church I'd love to introduce you to. They're really super weird, but they're kind of fun to watch. You know, you can just do whatever you, whatever you want to do there. But, but we've got to engage people. We've got to connect with people. And lastly, we've got to share the, we've got to share the gospel. We've got to share the gospel. I mentioned to you a few weeks ago that there's some challenge that comes with sharing the gospel because most of us, if we're honest, say, hey, um, I am, I'm just too nervous to share the gospel. I'm just too nervous because maybe I don't know enough Bible. I don't know. What if they ask me a hard question? I, I just want to say that, that it's not hard to be educated in that. Our life group is finishing up on Tuesday, a seven-week study training on sharing our faith. And we started praying on week one that God would bring salvation through this training. You know how many we've seen brand new salvations? Four. Can we praise God together? Four people. That's awesome. All praise to God. Four people have given their life to Jesus Christ. Why? Because a handful of us were trained to share our faith. And we were bold enough to say, God, use me. God, use me. 
I want to share. And people are sharing with their coworkers. They're sharing with their foreman. They're sharing with people on the job. They're sharing with their family. They're sharing with their employees. It's exciting. Getting trained to share the gospel is so much easier than you think it is. But you got to be willing to say, God, I'm going to learn it. I'm going to learn to share the gospel so that when I have an opportunity, I can tell someone the good news of Jesus. So what does it look like to engage our community with the gospel? We'll take a look at this video. I think this shows us a really great picture of what it could look like here in Billings. This is Nate. Nate became a Christ follower two weeks ago and is still a bit giddy about it. Now he's trying not to do cartwheels in public. Nate became a believer partly because of Kim. Yet oddly enough, Kim and Nate have never met. Now is this possible? Well, let's take a look. Kim loved Jesus from an early age, and in college she had a huge impact on her friends. While most of her peers used their college years to, well, experiment, Kim didn't. She remained committed to her faith, and it showed. It especially showed to Lisa, her roommate, who confessed to Kim that she wanted whatever it was that made Kim so strong. Kim shared her faith with Lisa, and Lisa believed. Years later, at Lisa's first real job, she met Thomas. Thomas was hit by a drunk driver when he was 13 and still carried a lot of anger and bitterness. Thomas and Lisa became friends, and it wasn't long before he started going to church with Lisa and her husband. After a lot of studying and searching, Thomas gave his life to Christ. Fast forward a few years. Thomas became a public speaker and was often asked to speak at large events. See, when he became a believer, Thomas developed a new perspective on life. He stopped resenting what had been taken from him and started being thankful for the second chance he had been given. On one particular day, Thomas shared about overcoming hardship and what it means to choose joy. He was so passionate that a number of people were inspired to share a link to his video. The video of Thomas inspired James, too. And if anyone needed inspiration, it was him. James had a ton of issues. He spent most of his life as a passive husband, an absent father, and a horrible friend. That said, no one disliked him more than he disliked himself. But everything changed the night he happened to watch Thomas online. Something clicked and he knew what he had to do. He surrendered his miserable life to someone greater, and he was forever changed. James fought hard to make up for the lost years with his family. And he also began working with young men who were in danger of throwing their lives away. One of those men was Nate. Nate didn't really know his own dad, and he had no real direction in life, ultimately bouncing from one bad decision to another. Because of that, he often found himself in trouble with the law. No one had ever showed him what it looked like to be a real man. That is, until he met James. James became the first father figure Nate ever had. He learned about honesty, self-control, humility, and integrity, and where those traits come from. Two months later, Nate publicly declared his belief in Christ. And of course, James was there. Now you can see the connection. Nate was impacted by James. He was influenced by Thomas. Thomas on uncommon joy in Lisa, who learned of Jesus from Kim. Kim's relationship with God eventually led to Nate's. Funny how these two people have never met and never will.
that would be here? I did. It, what if? What if that was here? That's awesome, and that's what being in our community is about. Is if we are so willing to go and share the gospel, and they go and share the gospel, and they go and share the gospel. I'll be honest with you. I'm so delighted that we continue to see salvations here at Emmanuel. We do, but I'm going to tell you, I'm not content because there's. 999,000 more people out there, and many of which they need to know the life-changing power of Jesus. And we need to go and we need to tell them. And we need to engage our community. That video just breaks me every time I watch it. Every time I watch it, because it's that simple. There's no program there. There's no budget there. It's just telling people and living for the glory of God in the circle that we're in. Are you willing to engage that? It's exciting to see God move around us, but it's even more exciting to see God move in us and through us. Will you today say, yes, God, I will go and let you work through me in the community that I have. I hope that you'll say yes to that today. I'm gonna ask for every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. Are you willing to engage your community today? Maybe you're here this morning and you'd say, you know, in the family, in the church, in the community, Maybe you'd be here saying that, you know, Jim, I haven't really talked to anybody about Jesus in a very, very, very long time. Some of you might say in the stillness of your own heart, maybe you never have shared God with anybody. Maybe you thought faith was all about you instead of giving it out to someone else. Today that can be the day that you change your direction and say, God, I want to go for you. God, I want to live for you. God, I want to engage my kingdom for the glory of God and the goodness of the gospel. Will you say yes to Jesus today to do that? Maybe you'd say, Jim, I don't even know where to begin, but you could start with prayer. You could start and say, God, I will go. I need you to show me where that first step is. Because we need to go as a church because we've got the good news, amen? We've got to do that. Father, I pray in our response time, God, that we would be soft-hearted and respond to your call, that we'd be willing to engage the community around us for your kingdom's sake because you've poured out this incredible love through your son, Jesus, for the whole world to know. And I pray that we would be your ambassadors in doing that, Father. Lead us through this time, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I read this morning in Ephesians chapter 2 before I came to worship today. I want to share it with you this morning. It says in verse 4, But God being rich in mercy. Isn't that good? God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So at the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a good word from the scriptures today? That's God's love for you. And it's his love for everybody else out there. Let's go tell someone this week, okay? God bless. You're dismissed. Thank you for listening to audio from Emmanuel Baptist Church, located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Emmanuel, please visit us online at www.myemmanuel.net.